Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Tons of topics to go over this show. The Adam Ottavino trade with the Yankees. A little weird, but uh, we'll get into it. Garen Austin is no longer a part of the Nesson crew. She has parted ways with Nesson, as they like to word it. They tried to say that they mutually parted ways with Don Orsello. Orsello wouldn't agree to the mutual part, and we know how that media charade went. Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens will not be going to Cooperstown. In fact, nobody will. No player on the ballot got 75% of the votes, which is the minimum uh, basically criteria to move on to Cooperstown. So get into that. I'll also discuss what it might mean for David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez as well. And finally, the Cactus League officials out in Arizona, where all those spring training sites are, are trying to delay spring training. So uh, we'll get into that and what the the components of that are. I am Terry Cushman, flying solo tonight. A lot of my co-hosts busy, and we are cranking these out. I think we've been doing about three a week because so many developments have, you know, taken place late in the winter. So, so yeah, so going to be just you and me for this episode. I always wonder where you guys are when you... When you're listening to this podcast, are you on your commute? I'm guessing that's where most of you are, but maybe some of you are on your morning jog or your afternoon jog. Some of you are in your office, I assume. So that's that's why I try not to swear. Um, and I think I've I've been better at that the last year or two. 2017, 2018, a lot of F-bombs. I drop a lot of F-bombs during the day. It's just how I am. And uh, uh, luckily, you know, I don't have kids and, you know, uh, I'm always in, you know, adult settings. So, uh, so be it. But yeah, getting into it now, the Red Sox and Yankees have agreed to a trade. Uh, Adam Ottavino is coming to the Red Sox for basically just cash. I guess there could be a player to be named later, which is always someone extremely low in the minors that is never going to see a major league team anyway. Um, But it does sound like for just cash. And when this happens, you know, most of us are on our phones throughout the day, just kind of perusing social media and perhaps going on to some of our sports sites or messaging our friends on the various messaging apps that we might use. And, and when you see that trade, it's it's tough to process in your mind because you're like, what? First, you got to process the fact that the Red Sox and the Yankees made a trade. You know, they did business together. That's weird. And it did happen in 2014. The Red Sox sent Stephen Drew to the Yankees midseason. The Red Sox were way out of it. And uh, they were just getting ready to trade John Lester, John Lackey at that time, and just kind of blow the team up for the season. And uh, 
Stephen Drew was of no consequence, really. And the funny thing, though, is the Yankees didn't make the playoffs either that year. And I forgot to go back and look, but I think that was the only year this century so far in in the 20 years, you know, there's been a season and a World Series that the Red Sox and the Yankees both missed the playoffs together. You know, it's it's always been one or the other has at least made the, the playoffs. And in a lot of years, both teams have made it. So, so yeah, so that was not a meaningful trade. But the Adam Adovino trade is kind of meaningful. And so, yeah, so you, you, you finish processing the fact that, you know, the, the Red Sox and the Yankees kind of work together on this. And and then you're like, well, who did they get? And it's Adam Ottavino. And if you're looking at Ottavino's stats from 2020, you're going to notice his ERA was 589. And some people are like, oh, my God, why would the Red Sox trade for him? He's terrible and he's 35 years old and he just had the worst season of his career. Well, if you look deeper into it, he pitched 18 and a third innings in the two months that the season played out. And he gave up 12 earned runs in those 18 innings. Six of those 12 were in one awful appearance on September 7th against the Blue Jays in Buffalo. And I actually saw that. I remember that. He got destroyed. Ottavino did. But six of the 12 were in that game. Three more of them came on August 20th against the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's nine of the 12 in two outings. If he gets out of there, you know, unscathed or maybe just gives up one run in each of those appearances, his stats are a lot more sparkling. And his strikeout per nine in 2020 was 12.3. That's pretty high. That is well above average. He had a high strikeout rate for 2020. His walk rate kind of crept up a little bit as well, but um, that probably you know didn't didn't help you know some other stats. But um, but yeah, so he wasn't quite as bad as you might think. And had the season played out for the full six months, his numbers probably would have leveled out. And in 2019, he had a 1.90 ERA, one of the best seasons of his career. And his strikeout rate that year was 11-something. So um, he actually struck out more, you know, at a higher rate in 2020 than he did one of the best years of his career. So, so yeah, so Ottavino is definitely still, in my opinion, most likely a viable, high-leverage, late-inning guy. I don't know if he's going to be the closer. I suppose it's possible. I think they would still like to keep Darwin's and Hernandez in that role. But nonetheless, he's still going to see some some high-leverage uh, situations in the 7th, 8th, and, and possibly the ninth innings uh, in the Red Sox bullpen. It's going to be a weird sight seeing him in a Red Sox uniform 
Like, it's just like the whole trade is weird. We might never see this again in our lifetime. You know, a meaningful trade with the Yankees. You might see a, you know, a, much like a Stephen Drew one several years from now. Can't rule that out. But but to, <laughs> to see a guy like that traded... And uh, yeah, so gonna gonna be weird to see him in a in a Red Sox uniform. Assuming he'll probably still be uh, number zero. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll find that out shortly. Um, but yeah, so why did the Yankees do it? That's that's another big question here. And the reason is this. They wanted to free up some payroll because they're desperately trying to stay under the $210 million luxury tax threshold. They were up around 260, 270 last year, way over it. And part of the reason they were is because they were having to pay the, the luxury tax penalties from the last couple of years. And it adds up after a while. And they also lost in the playoffs to the Tampa Bay Rays who have a $60 million payroll, <laughs> one of the lowest in the league. And here the Yankees are around 270. So that's embarrassing. Like there, there's a lot of failure that had to happen in that $270 million payroll to lose to the $60 million payroll. Like Cashman got outplayed by the other front office and he looks a little stupid having that high payroll. So he he probably wants to get under it at the very least to reset the penalties finally. And Ottavino's contract is 9 million a year. So that keeps him under, it gives him a little bit of wiggle room. Apparently there could be another move coming. Maybe they might bring back Brett Gardner. I've seen some James Paxton rumors, maybe they might bring him back on a cheap prove it deal. Uh, to prove that he's healthy and, you know, maybe next year he'll go after a more longer term deal. But, but yeah, so that, that was the, the Yankees motivation and the Red Sox got away with not having to give up a significant prospect for a high leverage late inning reliever because they were willing to take the full salary. So yeah. So that's that that's how it went down. And if any other team was willing to do just a little bit better than the Red Sox, you know, and the Red Sox by the way got another prospect in that deal from the Yankees. His name is Frankie Herman who is a pitcher. I'm not clear if he's projected to be a starter or a reliever. But his fastball does top out at 98 miles an hour. So, you know, maybe Bloom thinks he has something there. But if the the Yankees could have traded him to another team for all the cash and not having to give up that reliever or any situation that was comparable, he would have went to the other team. He wouldn't have went to the Red Sox. The last thing Cashman wants is... Ottavino costing him a couple of games because he struck out Judge Stanton and Voigt in order. So, you know, he, he must have been desperate to ultimately end up trading him to the Red Sox. But that's how it went down, and they freed up some some payroll, and 
probably will make some type of a corresponding move. I want to say this, though. The other weird aspect to this is that the Red Sox did basically acquire a reliever for $9 million because a lot of us on the podcast have had concerns about the moves Bloom has been making. For instance, me personally, and I'm speaking for myself here, not my co-hosts. Some of them agree with me, but um, but you know, I'm not a big fan of spending three million dollars on a guy like Hunter Renfro, and up to another three million dollars if the escalators all kick in for Matt Andres. I'm just those aren't moves that. I would waste money on. I would have sought out players that were slightly better. Like for instance, if you could get Puig for five or six million, I I probably would have got him over Renfro because I think despite the circus act that comes with Puig, you're gonna get a little bit more production. He's more of a middle of the order bat. So I would have went that type of a route. Or I might have just went and got Kike Hernandez instead of Instead of Renfro to begin with anyway, because you have Arroyo, you have Munoz, so you don't necessarily have to plug in Hernandez at second base. You've got an outfield with a lot of question marks, and you could put him out there with Verdugo, and that's two spots you don't have to worry about. So I just, I don't get some of the moves Bloom has been making, and, you know, he cheaped out on some of them, but then goes and pays $9 bucks for a reliever. And I think the bullpen was fine. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's good to have a guy like Ottavino, but I think a full year of Hernandez, very, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of saves or a lot of holds, depending on which inning he pitches. Brazier came around last year, looked very good. Um Josh Taylor with a full spring training and a normal start to the year. He had COVID last year. Possibly, you know, could be a high leverage guy. Matt Barnes, he's been streaky throughout his career. He hasn't been great for a full season ever, but he can go on these nasty streaks where he's striking out guys left and right. Had a 15-something strikeout per nine the year before last. So, so he's done it. And, you know, we've, we've got some guys, you know, that are going to be called up that could play a role. Tanner Houck could see some innings. I just wasn't worried about the bullpen. We had bigger concerns out elsewhere and especially the rotation. And in the last show, I basically said, I'm, I'm not thrilled with the Garrett Richards signing. He was only able to stay in the rotation for one month with the Padres, and it was a little perplexing because he wasn't injured, but Jace Tingler thought that Garrett Richards would be a bigger role, you know, a bigger weapon, I should say, out of the bullpen. And the thing that was weird about that is Clevenger was on the DL, Lamette was on the DL, and Chris Paddock who many people project to be a future ace, was having a terrible year, worse than Richards was. So why wasn't Paddock 
demoted to the bullpen. It was just so weird that Richards had such a short lease last year. And the, the strikeout rate was dropping, though, with Richards. Uh, so, you know, maybe that had something to do with it. But but a little weird. You know, he only stayed in the rotation for one month. And I would have been curious to see what Richards did if it was a six-month season. Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe the performance dips and he's just not pitching well. I just so many question marks about Garrett Richards and we spent 10 million bucks on him when we might've been able to get a guy like Jake Odorizzi for 12 million and had very few concerns. He did have a back issue last year, but I'm assuming there would be a physical, you know, prior to the contract being official and he's young. So strong likelihood he would recover anyway. He's right around age 30. Um, you know, so for two million bucks, you can have more of a sure thing. But you, you go with a guy like Richards, who hasn't pitched more than seventy nine innings since twenty fifteen, and he's thirty three. And some of those seasons since then, he's pitched like twenty nine innings. He pitched eight innings one season. That might have been when he finally had his Tommy John, but. Um, just tons of question marks. And then in the last few days, Hein Bloom spends almost $20 million on a couple of players that, you know, one you didn't necessarily need. And then another, there's just tons of question marks. I just think the money could have been more wisely spent. You could have had less riskier moves and, been a better team for it. So um, huge question marks there. Uh, I just, I don't get it. Uh, you, you know, as time goes on, I'm becoming less of a Hein Bloom guy. I'm going to have more thoughts about this on a future show because I do have more thoughts. Uh, but I'm going to move on now to the Garen Austin situation. Now, She's in essence have parted ways. Her contract was up, so I guess that's the reason for the departure. I briefly kind of searched to see if there were other details that might have factored into it, and it just looks like they parted ways. And um, I'm gonna kind of throw this out there. It's kind of a sensitive subject for some people. If you follow me on Twitter. I'm a very insensitive person to some people. It's, you know, it's just how I am. But um, ageism is kind of brutal for her industry as a, I don't know what you want to call her, uh, a TV personality, uh, a field side reporter, whatever you want to call it. Ageism is really brutal. And she's 40 years old. Stunningly, I she doesn't look it, but she's 40. And you don't see a lot of older people that work in her capacity on any of the major networks. I'm sure there's exceptions, but but the the nature of the beast is that a lot of these networks want someone young and that helps ratings and gets people's attention. So I know, kind of weird that I went there, but... <laughs> It's, you know, it's the ugly truth in, in a lot of cases. And so I guess Hamai Webster is going to be 
the field side, you know, reporter for Nesson in 2021, which makes sense because if they would have went with another newer, more attractive, younger female reporter, it looks weird. They would have replaced her with someone younger. So you got to go with a guy like Hamai as like the go-between. And then probably in 2022, bye-bye Hamai and they'll bring someone new in. But it's not fair. It's not fair. I I liked Garen. I I was entertained by her. Uh, It seemed like the players liked her. She didn't get involved in any weird scandals, you know, uh, like, for instance, playing hide the pickle with some of the players. <laughs> Not going to mention any names. Heidi Watney and Hazel May. And, and there was also Jenny Dell, but she did marry Will Middlebrook. So I'll, I'll give her a pass. And, and they've had kids and they seem to have a happy life. But, but you know, Garen Austin, classy, going to miss her, wish her well. She did say she was excited for the next chapter in her life, so I don't know if that's kind of a hint that she has something lined up. I, I hope she does, and uh, and I wish her well, and I'm sure others on the podcast do as well. So moving on, uh, Hall of Fame, nobody gets elected. Nobody met the criteria to get in. Uh, Kurt Schilling you know, some Red Sox implications there. A lot of interest from Red Sox fans to see if he would get in. Kind of a polarizing figure. I'm going to get to him in the end. He does have one more year left, so that is what's kind of notable about him. Um, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens are out of years. You can only be on the ballot for 10. This was their 10th. They didn't make it. So they're not going to get into Cooperstown via this avenue. The Veterans Committee could end up voting them in. I don't know how often they vote, if it's every year, the Veterans Committee, and there's there's 20 of them, I think, or maybe there's only 12. It's not very many of them, but it's still 75%. So, for instance, if I'm wrong, and it, you know, and it is 12, um, you know, so if nine of the veterans vote for a candidate, they'll get in. And if it's 20, oh God, I'm I'm bad with math. What's 75% of 20? Oh oh my God, I'm embarrassed. 15. So 15 out of 20, um, I wasn't lying. I'm bad at math. Uh, So if 15 out of 20 voted for, um, you know, them, they, they could get in. But previously we have seen a lot of those older generation players kind of speak out against steroids. So based on my observations, I would be very surprised if Bonds and Clemens get in uh, that way as well. And I'm going to speak for myself on this next part because I know some of my co-hosts will, will disagree with me. And, and that's the great thing about this podcast, by the way. We are five people who think independently of each other, form our own thoughts, and come on here and deliver those. We're not, we don't have a collective agenda as a show, like some other Homer podcasts might. So that that's the good thing. So again, speaking for myself here, I'm a huge anti-steroids guy. I wouldn't vote for any of them. And I know others have gotten in. 
you know, I'm not, I hate to do this, but I mean, Mike Piazza is a, is a big name. Some people suspect him of doing PEDs at some point in his career. Never got caught, has never admitted to it, is what it is, but he is in the Hall of Fame. Um, so there's that argument. Oh, well, if, if those players are in, you got to vote for Bonds and Clemens. And I don't agree with that. I really don't. And the thing about Bonds and Clemens is they lied about it. And I think Clemens was even brought up on perjury charges for lying to, you know, government legislatures, you know, whoever was on the committee, basically, which is usually made up of congressmen and senators. And, you know, so that didn't look good. And I think the fact that, you know, he was a Yankee for a big part of his career. Uh, you know, that doesn't help him with the fans. I, I don't know about the writers, but, but, you know, Clemens is a very polarizing figure and hasn't carried himself in, in the best way since he's retired. And I don't think, I don't think that helped him in the long run. I, I'm just wondering if, and maybe I'll ask this on social media. If Bonds and Clemens finally admitted to it, say, two or three years ago, would that have won them some sympathy and maybe some of these no votes would have turned into yes votes to get them into Cooperstown? It's kind of an interesting thought, but neither one of them has fessed up and Barry Bonds, you know, has had his own issues. I think he might have been caught up in the Balco scandal. And by all accounts, I mean, Barry Bonds was a dick. He was a dick to reporters. A lot of players didn't like him. He had problems with a lot of his coaches. I, I know there was a big blow up back in the 90s with Jim Leland, who is universally loved, you know, by everyone. Um, so that didn't do him any favors. And I'm just not a fan of these steroids guys. And I'm especially not a fan of these two. So it, it made my day that, that they didn't get in. They disgraced themselves on the field and they disgraced themselves off the field. So I think Cooperstown is a much better place without them in it. Kurt Schilling is a, is a different case. A lot of, the controversies he's gotten involved in after his career is basically what's kept him out. He's one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. I mean, he's won three championships, you know, 2001 with the Diamondbacks, 04, 07 with the Red Sox. His sock from the Bloody Sock game is in Cooperstown. That's an exhibit in Cooperstown. So he's had some epic postseason performances. His regular season numbers are good, maybe not super great, but um, but a case can be easily be made based on his performance as a player that he should go to Cooperstown. Unfortunately, he's had some controversies. Um, he lost his job at ESPN for posting an offensive meme. I should have looked this up before I came on. I think it was like an anti-Muslim type meme or something, something he definitely shouldn't have posted. And 
cost him his job. And then they replaced him with Jessica Mendoza. So, yeah. So there's that. He also works for Breitbart, which is a very right-wing publication, you know, a, a big conservative outlet. So, um, so yeah, he works for them. He might even do some podcasts for them as well. So that certainly didn't help. I mean, politics are polarizing no matter which side of the spectrum you're on. And, and, and yeah, so he lost a lot of votes because of his antics. He also had a, a, bad financial situation that I think a lot of investors lost some money. That's kind of not my language and a little over my head, but it was like a, it was like a video game entertainment type venture and it was out of the state of Rhode Island. And so he came out of that looking pretty bad as well. Do I think he should be in Cooperstown? I probably would have put him in, and if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm a Republican. I'm a Trump supporter. That's where I am on the on the political spectrum. I, I would vote for him, but at the same time, I mean, he's showing as far right of me, um, but I, it's hard for even someone like me to defend his antics in his post-playing career and, and then fight those battles and, you know, with everyone and, you know, to, to make a case for him to get inducted, you know, at the end of the day, his big mouth is what prevented him from, you know, from getting inducted into Cooperstown. And, you know, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's hard to defend him. And he does have one more year remaining. And but he did say today that he wishes to be removed from the ballot. I don't know how that works. That's unprecedented. No player has ever requested that before. So do they accommodate it? And he's simply not on the ballot. I I, I don't know how that works. Maybe they do. Maybe maybe he stays on the ballot as a formality. And there's a slight chance maybe he gets inducted. I doubt it because we do have a Democratic president with a Democratic Congress and a Democratic Senate. And he's probably going to get into more controversy, (laughs) you know, ranting and raving about that. So I I don't expect his public, um, you know, his, his public approvability for a better word to uh to improve i i just don't think i don't think he's going to win anybody over in the next year he did go on to say that he would he would fall back on the veterans committee to see if if perhaps they would uh induct him maybe they would i don't know i i think they would be a little bit more sympathetic to to shilling uh, versus Barnes and Clemens, but I could be wrong. I, I don't. I don't know what their mindset is. Uh, so, so yeah. The other interesting thing that was also revealed about Schilling is that if he was in fact inducted, he would have went into the Hall of Fame wearing a Diamondbacks cap, which you know he did win a World Series there. So. Um, 
at face value, I, I guess he did win two more in Boston. But the other interesting thing is Boston wasn't even his second choice. If he didn't go in in a Diamondbacks cap, it would have been a Phillies cap. So, you know, I, he's he's apparently there's some bad blood. And he did say in that statement that he didn't appreciate how Tom Warner and John Henry treated him in his final year in Boston. So um, he didn't elaborate on that. But like I said, bad blood. And apparently he didn't want any part of going into the Hall of Fame with a Red Sox cap. So kind of bums me out because like I said, at the end of the day, I'm sympathetic towards him. But I do understand why um, the Hall of Fame voters... uh, didn't put him in. So what does this mean for Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz? Well, you figure a lot of the older writers are probably the ones who were the most anti-steroids. So some of those guys might be retiring. So perhaps maybe by the end of the 10 years of eligibility that Ortiz and Rodriguez are going to have, Maybe with some younger writers coming in, they might have a better chance. And they are eligible on the next ballot. So year one of the 10 does start uh, next year. It sounds like people are very sympathetic towards Ortiz. Uh, Of course, you know, Red Sox fans are 90% of them or or maybe even 99% of them are going to vote for him. But, but, uh, you know... It, there does seem to be a lot of writers, a lot of TV personalities, Chris Mad Dog Russo, for instance, that uh, do expect that David Ortiz probably will get in. And Edgar Martinez was a DH for most of his career, got in. So that barrier has already been broken. So um, there is one career DH in there. So Ortiz doesn't have that obstacle. It's just whether or not... Uh, he can win over the um, anti-PED writers. And, you know, he he was supposedly on some list that was supposed to be confidential or whatever. And, um, you know, that list had a number of players who failed. And he was allegedly one of them. And Rob Manfred himself has come out and said that a lot of that stuff wasn't reliable and whatnot, but if I'm being fair and I'm being neutral and I'm the guy who, who would be his numbers in Oh three Oh four, a little bit off the charts compared to the rest of his career. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and fight off the Ortiz haters and say he, he never did them because I don't know. I mean, he was on the list. And like I said, there's a couple of years there. He had like, I think, 54 home runs. Never really came close to that after, I think, 04. But, um, but yeah. So, um, nonetheless, there, there seems to be a lot more sympathy for him anyway. As far as Rodriguez goes, he also disgraced himself in the worst possible way. When he was revealed to be on that, biogenesis client list like Melky Cabrera, Ryan Braun was, 
you know, they took their suspensions, Cabrera and Braun and a bunch of other players. I, I can't remember all of them. There was close to a dozen or so players on that list. Rodriguez was the only one who fought it and turned it into like a public circus. And he admits that, you know, back then he was kind of acting like a buffoon. That was his exact word. Um, you know, I, I heard him talking about it on ESPN, but, but yeah, didn't, didn't handle himself in the worst way, uh, in the best way, excuse me. And then back in his Texas Rangers days, which was like Oh one to Oh three, he admitted to using PEDs back then. And this was before he got caught, you know, for the final time, uh, in, in the 2013 scandal. So he admitted to it back then. And then he gets caught, actually caught later on in his career. Um, it just makes you wonder, did he cheat his entire career? Was it most of his career? Uh, It's tough to tell, but I just, I hope he doesn't get in. (laughs) He, he wasn't a very good representative for the sport in, in a multitude of ways. And, and, He's in the same category to me as Bonds and Clements are. So I I really hope they keep him out. Since he's retired, he's, like I said, gone to work for ESPN. I think he's kind of won some people over because he is a good caller commentator. When he does the studio work, he's very insightful. He's very articulate. And he's, you know, he he's captivating and provides very good insight. So... Uh, I I think maybe that this is like in a way his I don't know his I don't think apology tour is the right word because I I don't think he would ever do that but um, you know he's cleaning up his image you know with it with his work and broadcasting so if he can avoid like a messy split with J Lo that's gonna you know light the tabloids on fire or he was just apparently accused of embezzling but the person who accused him is, you know, doesn't have the most credibility, has a bad track record. So maybe nothing becomes of that, but he definitely has to avoid any, um, you know, media blow ups or scandals or whatnot. He's not going to go the Kurt Schilling route. (laughs) He, uh, you know, he doesn't have those type of issues, but, um, but yeah, so I hope he doesn't get in. Finally, uh, before I wrap this up, hard to believe I've been on here for 38 minutes. It goes so fast, but um, I won't spend much time on this. But the Cactus League officials, which is the um, the Arizona spring training sites, want to delay spring training until April. Apparently, Maricopa County, which is where most of those camps are, um, the number of COVID cases are spiking and they want to delay it. In order for it to be delayed, one of two things has to happen. Number one, the MLB Players Association has to approve of it or the local um, you know, municipal officials around the state, you know, mayors and whatnot, um, would have to essentially impose restrictions, public restrictions, um, banning those activities for 
a set amount of time. So there's no indication that that later scenario, that latter scenario is going to happen. And the MLB Players Association has come out twice saying they're not going to approve it. They're, they want to go to spring training uh, and start on time. And the players are going to want this as well because they got roughly a third of their salaries last year. So they don't want to go a second year without their their full salaries that you know their contracts stipulate they get paid and I don't blame them every other sport is playing right now safely and not having you know too many outbreaks within them I know the NFL had some issues I don't know if the NBA or NHL has, and and those two sports play indoors, by the way. So it's just hard for officials, or really, I think what's going on is the owners are pressuring the officials to try to find some way to, to delay it. That way, they don't have to pay the players as much because that's going to eliminate roughly 30 games from the schedule. And I think their mindset is if the season's delayed 30 days, maybe that'll be closer to the point where fans will be allowed back in the stadiums, you know, to some capacity, whether it's 25% full, 33% full, maybe half full in some states. So they're doing everything they can do, the owners are, to try to delay this. There were some owners a month or so ago saying there would be a 0% chance that spring training would start on time. So, you know, they're they're being manipulative and trying to protect their bottom dollar. Meanwhile, in Florida, not only is that stuff scheduled to start on time, they're going to allow fans into their stadiums in the Grapefruit League. <laughs> so it's it's a tale of, of, you know, two leagues here. And I expect that things will start on time. They do have three weeks left. The trucks have not left, you know, like, for instance, Boston. You know, truck day hasn't happened for the Red Sox where it's departed for Fort Myers. So... There's still three weeks they could come up with an alternative plan if they're hell-bent on not playing in Arizona. Maybe they could go to Florida. You know, there, there'll there be other ball fields down there. They can go to colleges, for instance, and use their fields. Maybe in some cases, maybe the Red Sox would share their facility with another team and, you know, one team plays day games, the other team plays night games. However, however they want to work it, but there's plenty of room for a plan B here. So, uh, I Texas could be another spot. Apparently, there's a lot of ball fields down there, you know, with schools and whatnot, and complexes, and so on and so forth. So, owners are trying to throw a wrench into things, but I don't think the players' union is going to budge and. I think we're still looking at 162 games. And Dr. Fauci said last week the the cases are plateauing, you know, as far as the national average goes. And more vaccines are getting, you know, getting administered to parts of the population. So um, 
you know, and it's not going to be any worse than, than what they dealt with last year. So I'm not a big COVID guy. I've been a big critic about it all along. I, I won't get into it here, but let there be baseball. Let there be baseball, and as best as we can, let's try to get back to the old normal, you know, as quickly as we can. So that'll do it for this episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I haven't gone solo in in a while. I was doing uh, some bonus segments during the later part of the season. I think throughout the playoffs I was doing it as well. So um, I would expect probably another show to happen. Let's see, today's Tuesday. I would say by Sunday at the latest, um, you know, if a Bauer signing happens, we'll come on to cover that. If anything else develops within the Red Sox, uh, we'll come on to cover that as well. So again, hope you enjoyed it. Take care.